Thanks, John, and thanks uh, to the band as well for leading us in worship and giving us things to think about as we focus on Jesus and his great love for us. Now, three years ago, I made one of those amazing food discoveries that we all make from time to time. I don't know if you've ever done this, but you taste a food or a drink that you thought was disgusting, that you thought was really unpleasant, and then suddenly you taste it for whatever reason, and then bang, you're converted. And that's it. You can't get enough of it. Well, I had one of those moments about three years ago. Ryan made me a coffee, and that was it. I was converted. And Ryan was already a coffee snob. He's turned me into a coffee snob. You share a room with someone for five years, and they transform your uh, eating and drinking habits. I don't have all of Ryan's eating and drinking habits, but coffee, uh, coffee we certainly have in common. And up until that point, I loved the smell of coffee, absolutely loved the smell of coffee, but I always thought, I wish it tasted like it smelled. And then one, of these, one day, just suddenly, I discovered it. Actually, the real need for it was we were running a mission team. I was exhausted. I needed some caffeine. How could I stay awake while I prepared a sermon on a Friday night? And it was coffee was the, uh, was the way to do it. And so Ryan made me a coffee, and at 39, I discovered something new, and now I can't get enough of it. But none of that instant stuff, I hate to hasten to add, it has to be, it has to be ground Ethiopian Sedemo coffee. Just, just so you know, if I do come to your house, please don't serve me instant stuff, but just, just put that out there. And maybe you've had one of those moments where you taste something like that for the first time, and it transforms everything for you. And something that you once thought was unpleasant, was uh, something that you didn't like, all of a sudden now it becomes fantastic for you. Something that you were once repulsed by, you uh, embrace and you love. Well, that happened to one of the early church leaders in the Bible, a man called Peter. Peter was a Jew, but he'd become a Christian. In fact, he was one of the 12 disciples, one of the first 12 followers of Jesus, but he was still a Jew. And as a Jew, he wasn't allowed to eat certain foods. The law that God had given to Moses for the nation of Israel 1,400 years beforehand prohibited the Jews from eating certain kinds of foods. But the implications and the ramifications of Peter discovering some new foods were a little bit bigger than when I discovered coffee. So let's read what happened and and, and let's see the outcome from Acts chapter 10. The setting is just shortly after Jesus has ascended back up to heaven and the early church has begun and we were, we're picking up our studies again today uh, from uh, Acts. We were looking at the last two months in Genesis, but we're starting again in Acts as we looked at earlier in the year of how the church was born as the Holy Spirit came and as the disciples were told to go into all the world and to preach repentance and faith in Jesus. And little by little we've seen over these first ten chapters of Acts how the church grew and how different people came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find ourselves here this morning with Peter, the the chief leader of the early church, and something phenomenal happens to Peter. He's the leader of the early Christians who at all this point were still Jews. They were all ethnically and religiously Jews. So let's read from Acts chapter 10. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's a narrative of what happened. We're going to read the whole chapter through, and then we'll come back to it and look at what we can learn from it. So Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. 
When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We've come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. 
Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Fantastic story, great incident in the life of Peter and the development of the early church. And a key moment in Christian history. So here we have this Roman soldier, a centurion in the Italian regiment. And even though he was a Roman, he'd obviously rejected the pagan idol worship which was normal for Romans, for people who lived in Rome and who were part of the Roman Empire. And instead he'd begun to revere and to pray to God, to the God of the Bible. Not to these pagan idols that perhaps he'd once worshipped, but now to the one, the true, the living God of the Bible. And he was trying to live a devout life and he was giving to the poor, etc. And then one day an angel appears to him and tells him that God has noticed his life and the interest that he has in him. God has noticed that he's seeking the truth. And so the angel tells him to send for Peter. But then just as Cornelius' men are about to arrive at the house where Peter is staying, Peter's actually up on the roof of the house, which was common, they had flat roofs, and he was up there in the hot of the day, and he's up on the roof of the house and he's praying. And as he's praying, Peter gets hungry. And as he waits for the food he's sent for to come, he has this vision of this large sheet coming down from heaven. And on the sheet is a whole mixture of different animals, some that were okay for Jews to eat, and some that were definitely not okay for Jews to eat. And to mix these animals up in one uh, way like this, for a Jew was really scandalous. This was outrageous for a Jew. And the outrage for us is lost because we're not Jews. But for Peter, this was a scandalous thing to see. And then Peter hears a voice, and he recognizes the voice as belonging to the Lord Jesus, the one who he'd lived and served for with and for for three and a half years. So he knew instantly Jesus' voice speaking from heaven. And the voice tells him to kill some of these animals that he sees in this vision and then to eat them. And Peter, as a good Jew, protests, as Peter was uh, in the habit of doing often when Jesus told him to do things. Surely not, Lord. And Peter protests. But God tells him that from now on he's made all animals clean and acceptable to eat. And he's overturned the law that he'd given to Moses for the Jews to live by 1,400 years earlier. And just as this vision from God comes to an end, The men that Cornelius had sent for Peter arrive right at the house where Peter's staying and they knock on the front door. And the next day, Peter went back with these men to see Cornelius. And when he hears about Cornelius' vision, and then when he thinks about the vision that he had had just a few days earlier, he realizes that God has sent him a very, very clear and powerful and hugely important message. And the message is this, that this great good news the gospel that he's been telling the Jews about up until now, the good news that, uh, that people can have their sins forgiven, that people can be right with God, can have eternal life, can be made right in God's sight through trusting in Jesus. There's this fantastic package of good news. This good news isn't just for Jews. It's not just for Peter's fellow Jews. It's also for the Gentiles, people who are not Jews. And the message from God through this vision to Peter and to Cornelius was that this good news, this gospel message, was for everybody. It wasn't just to be kept to the Jewish people, to Peter's fellow countrymen, as it were. And as he talked to Cornelius and his household, and as he explains about Jesus, that Jesus was put to death on a cross but was raised by God from the dead, and that he is going to judge the whole world through Jesus, and that God is going to judge the world, and that people can have faith, in in Jesus and can be forgiven and so on as he he explains this good news 
the Bible says those who were listening were filled with the Holy Spirit. They heard what Peter was saying and they were responding to it in their hearts. And so the Holy Spirit filled them. And for good measure to convince people, because you can't see when the Holy Spirit fills someone's life. Over time you might see evidences as their life is changed. But to convince Peter and the other Jews that were with him, who were Christians, but they were Jews, to convince them that this was the real deal, that this was the same thing that they had experienced when they had trusted in Jesus, not only did the Holy Spirit fill these other people, these non-Jewish new believers, but then they began to praise God in other languages, languages that they hadn't learned. The Bible calls them speaking in tongues. And so as they saw this, it was clear proof that the Holy Spirit had come, that these people, just like Peter and his fellow Jewish Christian friends and brothers, just as they had responded to Jesus and had been filled with the Spirit, so now, for the first time ever, had these people who were not Jews. And so Peter ordered that they should be baptised in water as a sign that their old life had finished, as you go under the water to symbolise that your old life is done, and as you go under the water to symbolise that your old life is buried, and then come back up out of the water to say, I've begun a new life. And so Peter said, yeah, this is right for them too. Jesus commanded that those who trust in him should be baptised as a visible outward demonstration. And if you've not been baptised, if you know and love Jesus, but you've not yet been baptised, there's a great opportunity. Anna's getting baptised on the last Sunday in November, Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock. I hope everybody here is going to be here. It'd be fantastic if you could be here and stand with Anna, hoping that two or three other folks will get baptised as well. So I really hope everybody's going to be here that Sunday and supporting them. But maybe you are not you've not yet been baptised. You know you love Jesus, you've trusted in him, but you've yet to do that. Well, this is an opportunity for you to do that. We'll, do, we'll get that baptistry open every week. That's not a problem. But it will be great to do it on this afternoon, on, on the last Sunday in November, and to celebrate as a church family together. So if you know and love Jesus and you haven't been baptised, then here's an opportunity for you to do that. These new Christians, Cornelius, his, uh, Cornelius and his household, as they listened to Peter, were saved, they responded to the message, they were filled with the Spirit, and they were baptised. It's quite some event. Peter makes a discovery about food, but the consequences of Peter's discovery about food were, were significantly greater than my discovery about coffee. As mu- and as nice as that has been, and if you want to buy me a present at Christmas, then you know, coffee's always good, but you know, it pales into insignificance. This discovery of Peter's about foods was phenomenal and it transformed everything. So what are the consequences of this and what do we need to understand and know about this passage of the Bible? Well, firstly, look at verses 4 to 5. Now, there's an outline on your seat. If you want to use that, there's things for you to fill in. There's pens in the back of the chairs in front of you. If it gets in the way, that's fine. Just ignore it. The verses will be up on the screen and also on your outline. Verses 4 to 5 says this, The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring a man named Simon, who is called Peter. Cornelius was a good man. He turned his back on the idols of his own culture, and he was seeking the truth, and he had begun in some way to revere the one true God. He'd begun to pray. He'd started giving his money to the needy Jews he was aware of. He was a good man, and God had noticed that. But, you know, his good works weren't enough. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. God had noticed Cornelius previously, but Cornelius still needed to respond to the preaching of the good news. He had to hear the good news about Jesus, 
And then when he did, he had to respond. And as he responded, the Holy Spirit came upon him. As Peter was speaking these words, in his heart he responds and then the Holy Spirit fills him. His good works were great. God had noticed his good works and God is always pleased when people, be they Christians or not, do good things. God is pleased with good works when we care for others, when we love our neighbour as ourselves. But if we want to get right with God, if we want peace with God, if we want our sins forgiven, if we want eternal life, then good works aren't enough. We need to actually trust in Jesus. And write that on your outline. We need to trust in Jesus. Our good works, my good works are not enough. I can give all, the, all to the poor that I have. I can, I can be the nicest person in my street. I can give all sorts of good works. But unless I'm actually having living, breathing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, unless I've confessed my sins, unless I've turned away from them and made him Lord of my life, my good works just aren't good enough. We can be sincere, but we can be sincerely wrong. And, and being good is never quite good enough for God because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of God's glory. None of us are able to meet the perfect standard that God has, has met. And Cornelius needed to hear the message and in his heart he needed to respond and he needed to exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and maybe you've yet to believe in Jesus, you've yet to trust him as your Lord and as your Saviour, then can I appeal to you to do so today? To give up on your own attempts at being good enough for God and instead trust solely in Jesus and what he has done because he is the only one who was good enough. It was, as, as John was mentioning earlier, it was through his act of obedience, through his, his life of obedience, meeting every standard that God, perfect standard God set and in his act of obedience on the cross because Jesus is perfect. He can give us his perfection if we trust in him as he takes our sins upon himself. So give up on your own attempts at being good enough for God and trust in Jesus instead. Now most of you here today probably have done that. Most of you, I guess, have, can say, yes, I, I love Jesus, I've trusted in Jesus, I have faith in Jesus. And that's great because this passage has got great news for you and for me too. Look at verses 4 to 5. The, uh, again, the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. Now, this is, this is important, you see. God could have just used the angel to tell Cornelius the good news about having peace with God and having forgiveness of sins uh, through and believing and trusting in Jesus. The angel had appeared to God. This was a supernatural event. The angel was there. So why not God just use the angel to tell uh, Cornelius the good news? The gospel, why not? Why go and send for a man and travel and do all of this? Why not just God speak to him himself or speak through this angel? But God chooses not to do that. Instead, he involves a human being. They have to go and they have to find Peter, who has the good news, and he has to bring it to them and present it to them. And so Cornelius sends for Peter, who he thinks probably is some kind of really special man. But Peter makes it clear, look, I am just an ordinary person. There is nothing different about me and you. He's just a fisherman. There's nothing special about Peter. And I love that because, you know, it shows that God has chosen to involve people like you and me in spreading the good news. God could just use the angels. God could just put a big sign in the sky in neon lights all over the world and present the good news to people. He could do that. God could show up in everybody's home and, and, and living room and speak to them directly, but he chooses not to do that. Instead, he uses people like you and me to be the means by which other people get to hear the good news. Now, if I was doing it, I wouldn't do it that way but it's a good job that I'm not doing it 
if we were God, we probably wouldn't design things that way. We would just go for you know, the mass market, the, the easiest, simplest way. But God doesn't work that way. He uses people like you and me, people who are the equivalent of fishermen, simple people, no great expertise, no great qualifications, people like you and me who can do great things for Jesus if we step out in faith and do that. People, God uses people like me, people like you, to spread the good news about Jesus. And isn't that amazing? He could do it himself, but he doesn't. He entrusts the task to us, and we get this massive privilege and massive responsibility of telling people the good news about Jesus. And it's really important that we grasp that truth, because we are God's plan A. There is no plan B. This is the way that God has ordained it, that it's through people like you and me sharing the good news with our work colleagues, with the folks at school, with our family, with our neighbours. There is no backup plan. This is the way God is doing it. And it's all upon us. It all rests upon us. And God has given us that plan. That's his gospel plan. So we need to be ready. We need to be intentional, don't we? We need to be ready and have our spiritual eyes open to see who is God at work in in the lives of those around me. Who at work does God seem to be kind of stirring up? Things happening in their lives, conversations I'm involved with. Who is God at work in in my family that's, that's saved? Who is God at work in in my neighborhood? Now that requires us to have friendships with people in the first place, doesn't it? It requires us to be intentional, to open our homes, to take in people around us for, for dinner or, or spend time with non-believers so that we can build relationships, those relationships which become bridges or which the gospel can travel through. So we need to be intentional and say, who am I having around to my home for dinner this month? Who am I going to go out for coffee with? Who am I going to plan so that I can build a bridge to share the good news? And then to be praying and asking God to open our eyes so that we can see who is God at work in so that they're ready to respond and that we are ready to respond with the good news. Look at verses 34 and 35 again. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize, says Peter, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter wasn't, expe- Peter wasn't accept- expecting a knock at his door that day. He certainly wasn't expecting a Roman centurion to be wanting to know about Jesus. That, I guess, wasn't expected by Peter as he got up that day. But credit to Peter, he rises to the challenge and steps up to help a man who is searching for God and searching for the truth. And that is really important for us because we need to be ready to respond. Write that down. We need to be ready to respond to those God is at work in. God is at work in all sorts of people's lives. And we need to be praying and asking God to open our eyes so that we can see how God is at work in the lives of those around us, in the lives of our families, in the lives of our neighbours, of our work colleagues, ready to respond to what God is doing so that we're working in partnership with Him. A great example of this in my own life that I had just back in the summer when I'd gone on sabbatical and I had to go for some tests for the hospital and I had a whole morning where I was going to be having tests like every 15 minutes And so I thought, this is going to be a really long, boring morning. So I took my computer and I took some books to do some study. I thought, make the most of this time. And as it happened, the consultant who was doing the tests, there were just two of us who were having these tests done, and she didn't let us go back. She just said, no, you might as well stay here. We'll chat. Let's have the morning talking. Oh, goodness me. I've really got better things to do than have a conversation with you and this guy here. I've got work to do. I need to study about Jesus. I've got this sabbatical. I've got this paper to write and all this kind of stuff. I've got more important things to do. And as the conversation went on, and it was pleasant enough and, and so on, and every 15 minutes we'd have some tests and so on, 
she says, you know, and she started to unfold her life and her frustrations and her worries and her concerns. And she says, there must be more to life than just being a consultant and working every hour under the sun and, and all the backstabbing goes on in medicine. Oh, she just poured out her whole life to me. And I thought, well, here we go. So I said, well, you know, there is more to life than this. And really? And so we started, and in a kind of faltering, not brilliant way, I tried my best to try and share something of the gospel with her. And I was expecting, you know, I said to her, you know, the Bible says that, that God has created each one of us to live in a relationship with him. Yeah, that makes sense, she said. Oh, okay, here we go. And, then she, and I said, you know, the Bible says that God made each one of us. We didn't evolve from slime over millions of years. You and I are made in God's image. Yeah, yeah, of course, there has to be a creator. And I was expecting this big torrent from a, you know, from a scientist, a medical consultant. That, oh, that's nonsense. Not at all. God was at work in her heart. Now, she didn't get, she didn't get saved that morning. But, she, but, but I believe God was at work in her heart. And to my own shame, I, you know, I thought it would be better, it would be more important for me to be reading and studying about God than talking about God. I had no expectation, no understanding, no plan to share the gospel with anybody that day. And the thought of a morning talking with two people I didn't know just, oh... And, you know, in the midst of my own blindness and self-preoccupation and so on, things that were, you know, were good things to be occupied with, almost missed the opportunity to share the gospel with that lady. And had I had some gospel literature with me, which I didn't, again, to my shame, I could have left it with a tract or something. So it's about being ready to respond, ready to see who is God at work in, in the lives of those around us. I certainly didn't create that conversation at all. This was a God moment and she actually kept coming after me in the conversation as the morning went on. Now, Peter's response was actually a much bigger deal for us than we can imagine. For us to talk to someone today about Jesus who's open and asking questions is, is something I guess most of us would actually want to do. But for Peter, this was a massive issue. Look at verses 11 and 12. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners... It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Peter saw a vision that for a Jew was outrageous. He saw animals that were considered unclean under the Jewish law mixed with clean animals. And then he heard Jesus telling him to kill and eat these unclean animals. Now this might not seem a big deal to us, but to Peter or to any Jew, this was a massive deal. But why? What, what's the big deal here? Well, 1,400 years earlier, God had entered into this special covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. And as part of that, he'd given them a package of laws and rules to live by. Principally the Ten Commandments, but then a whole subset of rules and, and laws which governed the way that the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, did absolutely everything. Some of these laws included not eating certain animals. And so they were designated ceremonially unclean. And eating them would mean that they weren't able to participate in worshipping God. So why did God first introduce these categories of clean and unclean food? Well, it was to teach the Israelites certain lessons. The pagan nations that surrounded Israel, and particularly as they went into the land and took possession of it, the pagan nations that surrounded them were involved in all sorts of uh, unbelievably sinful practices, just the very depths of depravity. And to keep Israel from being enticed and dragged into the same kind of practices, as part of the law of Moses, he introduced... A, a variety of laws that made it really difficult for Israelites to interact with non-Israelites, with Gentiles. See, Israel had a special role as God's chosen people to represent him to the nations. And the ceremonial 
separation from certain foods which other nations ate reinforced and underlined the fact that they were in some special sense separated to the Lord. They were to give themselves to God completely. They were specially holy in a kind of ritualistic way. And these food laws had an immediate effect because they made social mixing with Gentiles incredibly difficult because Israelites couldn't eat Gentile food. And when so much of kind of social mixing is around food, if you can't go into someone's home because you can't eat their food, then you don't tend to have much to do with them. And this not only reinforced the fact that Israel was a special nation, but it also acted as a constant reminder that Israel was to avoid the moral and spiritual uncleanness of the uh, Gentile nations. And it was because uh, God knew exactly that, that these people, that the Jews were exactly as weak as the, and as sinful in their hearts as the Gentile nations around them. God used these ceremonial laws to, to kind of build like an invisible wall because they couldn't eat the foods, it was like a wall had been constructed around the nation of Israel, whether as an individual or as a nation. And that this wall would protect them. And that, 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 that the wall would separate them from, from Gentiles. It wasn't because the Jews were better than the Gentiles. It was because God knew that they were exactly the same. They were exactly as weak and as sinful as the Gentiles. And unless they had this protection, this mechanism which separated them from the Gentiles they would fall into exactly the same sin. Israel under the law, says the Apostle Paul, was like a child and God treated them appropriately. He put a wall of ceremonial food laws around them to remind them that they were a people that were separated to God, were devoted to God, and to protect them as far as possible from sinful pollution, from Gentile pollution. And the need for and the importance of the wall can be seen from their history because whenever they stopped following the law, whenever they disregarded this wall, they came tumbling down and they got dragged into the very practices and sins that God wanted them to abstain from and be separate from. But the problem was that many Jews missed the point. And this wall, this kind of barrier between Jew and Gentile, became a sign of superiority for the Jews. And that they began to think that they were special, that they were different, and that they were superior to Gentiles, when actually in the moral sense it was exactly the opposite. And one of the problems was that many Jews thought that because they were ceremonially clean, they were ticking the boxes externally. They were also spiritually clean. When actually when Jesus had been here on earth, he had taught and made it clear that it wasn't what you put into your body that made you unclean. It was what came out of your heart that made you unclean. Just because they were ticking all the boxes and doing all the right things outwardly didn't mean that people were pure in their hearts. And so it was at this moment in history that God made it clear to Peter, the main leader of the early church, that a change was taking place. Look at verse 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. It wasn't the food that itself that was ever unclean. The food wasn't unclean intrinsically in and of itself. And nothing changed when, when Jesus said these words. Nothing had changed about the nature of the foods. God cleansed the food. It, it, it was the prohibition that made the food unclean. It wasn't the foods in themselves that were unclean. God had created it all in the first place. It was the prohibition that made it unclean. And God removed that prohibition and he cleansed the food and he made it clean by removing the prohibition on it. So from now on, those Jews who trusted in Jesus were set free from having to keep these food laws. And because they no longer had to keep these food laws, they were now able to go into the homes of Gentiles and tell them about Jesus too. Jesus had already taught this during his time on earth, but the disciples, including Peter, 
had missed what Jesus had been saying. Look at Mark 7, 18 to 19. This is when Jesus was alive on earth and was teaching and preaching. Jesus said, Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And so Peter began to realize that Jesus was saying to him, through this vision and through this situation, and through what he had taught when he'd been here on earth, that he was not only free to interact with non-Jews, but that he actually needed to make sure that the non-Jews also got to hear the good news about Jesus, good news that they desperately needed to hear. And so when he arrived at Cornelius' house and heard what had happened, look at what he said. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fears him and does what is right. It wasn't Cornelius' fear or his reverence of God that saved him. The point was this, that Cornelius didn't need to become a Jew in order to get right with God. Cornelius didn't need to become a Jew. He just needed to place his trust and his faith in Jesus, which is why God had instructed him to send for Peter so that he could hear properly the good news from Peter. And so Peter learned a massive lesson, a lesson that changed his life, changed Cornelius' life and his whole household's life and in fact changed the whole world and then changed your life and my life. And the lesson was simple but huge and this is it. We need to tell everyone about Jesus, not just people that we like, or people that are like us. Write that down. We need to tell everyone about Jesus. Not just people that we like, not just people that are like us. For Peter, this, this event was massive. And for mankind, for history's sake, this was huge. Otherwise, no Gentile would ever have been saved. This Salvation would have been kept in the Jews. Salvation comes from the Jews, the Bible says, but it's for all mankind. And I guess that probably means that none of us would have come to know Jesus, or perhaps most of us, because we're not ethnically Jewish. We are ethnically Gentiles. But the good news about Jesus is for everyone. And because God loves the whole world and not just a certain group of people, he doesn't just love the English, he doesn't just love the British or or, or rich people. He loves every kind of person, whether poor or rich or educated or uneducated, black or white, straight or gay. He wants everyone to come to a knowledge of Jesus. He wants everyone to come to confess their sins, to repent, to turn away from their sins, to have their sins forgiven and to receive eternal life. So we need to be prepared to step out from our comfort zones and reach out to people who are different to us. For Peter, this was bound up massively in his whole religious belief system. For us, it may not be quite so much, but nevertheless, the temptation is to do the same, to only to to reach out to those people that we like or people that are like us or people who are closest to us. Peter took a massive step that day, and we'll probably never have to take a step as as, as big as Peter did, but every day we have opportunities to cross the room at work or to cross the road and to share with people who are different to us about the Lord Jesus. See, the only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that Jesus has saved the Christian. Both desperately need his love and grace. It's so easy for us to become self-righteous. And, well, I'm now a Christian. I'm now superior to those people around who know Jesus. That's not true. The only difference is that we've experienced God's grace and they yet haven't. We're no better in and of ourselves. The only difference is that we've experienced God's grace, that we're now right with God through Jesus. And the, the person over here is no less of a person made in God's image. And despite or whatever kind of life they live or look like or whatever else might be going on in their life, they desperately need God's love and they're desperately loved by God. 
That's challenging, isn't it then? So how do I, as a Christian who wants to live a pure and holy life, a life that pleases God, how, do I, how can I interact with people, maybe who live very different lives to me, and not get caught up sometimes perhaps with the really sinful things that they may be doing in their lives? How do I hang out with a non-Christian uh, who may be kind of living a, a life totally opposite to, to, to a life of purity and holiness and not fall in the same way as they're doing? That was the challenge for Israel. So God gave them this invisible wall that, that protected them and stopped them from falling. Now God has removed those laws. So how do we stay pure in a fallen world? We don't have food laws to protect us from, from falling. How do we stay pure as we try to reach out to people who sometimes live very different lives to us? Well, God has given us something, or, or rather someone, infinitely better than ceremonial food laws to protect us and empower us. Look at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Everyone who believes in Jesus and trusts in him is filled with the Holy Spirit the moment that they put their trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes and into our lives and God comes to live within us. How amazing is that? That you and I, if we've trusted in Jesus, are the living, walking, breathing temples of God. God actually lives in us and our spirit is eternally joined now to his spirit. Phenomenal. And so we're not trying to live this life on our own, trying to live up to some list of rules. When we trust in Jesus the Spirit comes into our hearts, changes our hearts and makes it possible and writes on our hearts God's laws and, and, and observances and the things that we're meant to do. They're written in our hearts now so we're not externally living up to some rules that we're incapable of doing. God is living within us and it's the Holy Spirit who then gives us the power and the strength to live for Him and to stay strong and to stay pure in a fallen world. However, we still need to be wise, don't we? We still need to be careful. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit as He speaks to us and, and to be wise about the kind of situations we put ourselves in and the places that we go as we try to tell others about Jesus. If we struggle with a particular sin or a particular problem, then it's probably wise to let someone else go into that situation and we'll do something different. Because if I can't handle alcohol, I'm not going to go into a, in, into a situation where there's loads of alcohol present and try and reach those people. Let someone else do that because that's going to be a disaster for me potentially that's your situation this morning. Whatever it is, we need to be wise about where we do go. But the Holy Spirit will give us the power to, to share the good news with other people. We mustn't be naive about our own weaknesses. The Bible says this, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So we, you know, we're still all too vulnerable, aren't we, to sin and to temptations, to unhelpful influences. So we need to be wise about where we go, who we spend time with and so on. But we have the Holy Spirit within us. And so we need to daily rely upon His strength and His power. We're all filled with the Spirit when we're saved. But we need to go on being filled each day. And we do that by surrendering to God on a daily basis and just coming before God and saying, Lord, I'm going out to work this morning and I'm not particularly strong in myself and I'm going into a hostile office and an office which is very different to church. And so, Lord, I need your strength because... I, I'm pretty weak and I don't have a whole load to offer here. Lord, fill me, empower me. I surrender my life to you once again. And we do what that video showed us this morning. We, we get off the stool and we let Jesus sit on the stool upon the, the, the throne of our lives. And so we live in his power and in his way. As we live in a fallen world and as we try our best to reach the people around us that God loves, we need to totally depend on the Holy Spirit's power and surrender to him because like the people of Israel, if we don't, we'll soon end up in a mess. So, this morning, God loves the world. He loves everyone in the world, and he's calling people like you and me to be his, his fellow workmen. 
Isn't that phenomenal that we get to partner with God in sending this good news out to others? And that won't be easy. It will take sacrifice. Been really challenged this week reading a book, and he, he, the guy I was reading said this: that if we're not daily feeling uncomfortable through pain and sacrifice, then we're not really following Jesus. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Deny ourselves and take up our cross. There is a cost to following Jesus. And if following Jesus isn't uncomfortable and there isn't some pain and sacrifice, then probably we're not really following the Jesus of the Bible. It's the best life we can live. But to be a biblical disciple of Jesus, there will be sacrifices, things we can't do, things we can't save, things that we'd like to do, we can't spend them on. There's going to be a cost. There's going to be a sacrifice. It will require us to be intentional, to say, I'm not going to do that on that particular evening. I'm going to clear my diary and invite my neighbours in so we can build a relationship and share the gospel with my neighbours. Or I'm going to go out and I'm going to spend time with this guy from work or whatever it might be. It will require us to be open to the Holy Spirit's voice within us, guiding us to those whose lives God is at work in. And as we step out for God in a lost world, we need to totally and utterly rely upon the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit within us so that we live lives that are pure and holy and honouring to God. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, is for everybody. And so let's do all that we can to play our part in that becoming a reality. Let's just bow our heads before I close in prayer. Just bow our heads. And maybe this morning, for you, you want to just take a moment to reflect and think there may be somebody in your life that God has put on your heart that you can see God is working in their lives. Now's the time just for you to pray for them, to name them before God. Maybe you want to commit yourself afresh to being intentional about sharing the gospel with lost people around you. To ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen you so that you can go out into a hostile world and share Jesus. Father, we come before you this morning. We give you thanks for the wonderful good news, the gospel. Thank you that so many of us can can testify to the life-changing experience that we have had in repentance and in faith in Jesus. Help us, we pray, like Peter, to be ready to respond, to go, to cross the road, to cross the room, to share the gospel with people that perhaps are very different to us, people that we wouldn't normally want to spend time with, maybe even. Help us, we pray, with those that we are in touch with, be persistent and consistent and to keep spreading the good news about you. Empower us, anoint our efforts, we pray, so that they're not just the feeble words of, of human beings, but we speak with the very words of God. Help us to do that, we pray. Thank you that the good news is for everybody. Thank you that you've included us in your great plan of salvation. And we give you thanks this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.